I want to start with a story that I recently uh, read about. It was, uh, it took, first of all, I want to dismiss the children. So if the kids are ready to go, they may be dismissed to their, for their time of teaching. Um, in his uh, huge two-volume scholarly work on ev- the evidence for miracles, both in the New Testament and in history, human history, uh, New Testament scholar Craig Keener tells a story from 1960 in the Republic of Congo where a two-year-old girl named Therese was bitten by a venomous snake. She cried out for her mother, and by the time her mother, Antoinette, got to her, she was unresponsive and had stopped breathing altogether. So Antoinette knowing that she had a friend of the family who was a Christian evangelist who believed in miracles in the next village over, she strapped her breathless two-year-old daughter to her back and ran to that village. Now, this village, she's running on foot, is three hours away. So keep in mind that after about six minutes of not breathing, it's just about inevitable that you will have um, at least significant brain damage if you do start breathing again. You will have significant brain damage the rest of your life. So her mother takes her to this friend of the family in this other village three hours later. Her, no, her name was Coco Ngomo Moyis. I hope I'm getting that right. And she prayed for little Therese, laying hands on her, and she immediately started to breathe and was perfectly normal running around like a two-year-old the next day. No brain damage, anything. And there are thousands of stories like this, testimonies of people even being raised from the dead by the resurrection power of God. But here's the thing, as exciting as these stories are, little Therese and everybody else who has ever actually like medically died and been raised from the dead by the power of God, all of those people will still eventually die. Their physical bodies will age, they'll wear out, and they will expire. But those little resurrection stories are like little glimpses into the future eternal resurrection that is our hope in Jesus Christ. So Jesus' resurrection is actually the only one that has done this yet. Nobody else has been raised up into the eternal realm bodily yet other than Jesus. The Bible claims that Jesus, when he was raised up, he was raised into an entirely different order of being. He wasn't just resuscitated back to life to live until his body goes back into the grave. Uh, St. Paul says this, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So the death, the life he lives now is no longer subject to death like the life that you and I are currently living is. Now, we see all over in our culture this desire to escape the power of aging and death. You see it on billboards, in magazines, everywhere. I just, out of curiosity, did a Google search for anti-aging clinics in my area, and immediately dozens of names popped up. Innovative Healthy Aging, Body Logic MD of Orlando, Forever Young Anti-Aging Solutions, Body Concepts and Wellness, Why More Laser and Anti-Aging Medicine, and the list went on and on and on. Why is that? Because there's something in the human heart that rails against death. It rails against death. There's something in us that knows that, that, that it's wrong, that it actually it's not supposed to be this way. It is not supposed to be this way. When you heard the other day about that tragedy in Nashville, about somebody going in and gunning down two teachers and two nine-year-old children, you didn't just shrug your shoulders and go, yeah, death, it's just part of life. You said, that is tragic. You shed tears. You prayed, God, why has this happened? This is so wrong. This is so wrong, and we see and are surrounded by death in our world. And the resurrection of Jesus is the only thing, 
It's the only thing that can give us hope in a world haunted by death. But to make sense of the resurrection, we do need to back up a little bit and hear more of the story so that the resurrection will make sense of us because it's really the culmination of a story that starts way back at the beginning of human history. I'm not going to start all the way there back, but where I'm going to start is where Peter starts. So if you've got a Bible today, our reading from the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 10. And I want to just highlight a few things here from uh, Peter's words to the Gentiles in the early days of the Christian church. Now, let me give you some context. So in this passage, Jesus has already risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. Okay? He's seated at the right hand of God in all of his glory as King of kings and Lord of lords in authority over all the nations. And what he has done is he has poured out his own spirit on his people. And now Peter, his disciples, are now to take the story of Jesus and preach it to everybody and let them know that, this is, uh, that God's salvation is not just for Jews like them, but it's for the whole entire world. Okay, so here's, let's look at a few things that Peter says about this. We're going to start in verse 36 of Acts chapter 10. Peter says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is not talking about like a Woodstock kind of peace, like peace, love, uh, free love, rock and roll, like that kind of thing. He's not, ta- he's not even talking about the idea of like world peace, where can't we all just get along? What the world needs now is more love and peace. He's talking specifically about the peace that comes when human beings who are estranged from their creator because of the power of sin, be- because of rebellion in their hearts and living as if he didn't exist, he's talking about the peace that comes about through the reconciliation between God and humanity which is what he came to accomplish on the cross. But more about that in just a moment. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. That's what Jesus came to do, to reconcile us to the Father so that we could have peace. And true peace comes. True peace comes when our offenses against God are forgiven and he becomes our Father through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I did not know Jesus all my life. I was raised in a Christian home, but I never really accepted it into my heart. I never really lived it uh, until later in life. And so when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I went down every spiritual path I could try to find apart from Jesus so that I could live life the way that I wanted to, where I was Lord of life, and yet I could feel kind of spiritual. And there are a lot of people uh, today who are doing that. They're trying to find a path of peace through spirituality, but those paths of spirituality can't reconcile them to God. Because you see, sin keeps us out of the presence of God. And we're all born under its sway and influence and power. And the Bible shows us that there is a different, there is a different path. And it's not a path that you carve out to, to ascend to God. It's the path that in his humility and love for you, he carved out by coming down in, in the person of his son to save you and to show you the way back to him. Okay? That's what it means to have peace with God. And I remember the day that I surrendered my life to Jesus after going, you know what? All of this stuff that I'm running after, yoga and Hindu teachings and Buddhism and trying to be enlightened and spiritual but not religious and all of this stuff, none of it matters anymore because what I need is not enlightenment. I need to be forgiven of my sins and reconciled to my Father in heaven. And I'll tell you what flooded my heart when I said yes to Jesus. Peace. Peace. Because I heard my Father say, welcome home. Welcome home. Verse 38, here's where Peter Peter goes next. He says, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit 
and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God. He was a human being, fully human, anointed by the divine Spirit of God to walk in the power of God to set people free who were under the power of the devil, which is a lesser power. Now, in our culture today, it's probably a little ta taboo. People probably roll your, roll your eyes when you bring up the devil because they picture a Saturday Night Live skit with Will Ferrell wearing a red tight latex suit and horns and playing the guitar like Garth Brooks. You've seen that one, right? Okay, anyway. Um, now you're going to go on YouTube. Don't do that until the sermon's over. But people have all these false images or they think, oh, the devil is just superstition and all this. The Bible is so clear. If you are not walking with Christ, if you have not received him as Savior and Lord, you are under the influence of another God, a lowercase g God. He's the God of this world. And the Bible says he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of Christ. And so we are under his sway and under his influence apart from Jesus. But Jesus, this is the good news, is that Jesus came to set people free from that bondage and from that blindness and from that deception. Jesus wants to set us free from that so that we can be what the Bible calls transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the kingdom of light, and it's what Jesus came to do. And he ministered in supernatural power. Okay, Jesus didn't just teach a message a good message for us to follow to, to teach us how to be better people. Anytime I meet with somebody who's not a Christian and I'm sharing the gospel with them, I ask them, what do you know about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? And they almost always say, I think he was a good person who had good teachings that helped us to be better people. And I would say that's actually true, but it's only part of the truth. The other thing is, is that he actually came in the power of God and began to show people that they were under the bondage and blindness of the devil, of Satan, and then to get them free from that so that they could be saved from their sin and that they could have eternal life in his name. And he did that by healing sick people, by casting out demons, getting people out of their demonic torment. He fed hungry people, and he pronounced forgiveness over sinners. Like, who can do that but God alone? But every time that Jesus did a miracle like that, every time he freed someone from the power of the devil, it was like he was opening a little bit of a window so that you could see into the resurrection life to come where all suffering is removed, where all sin is removed, where our separation from God has been healed and we are with him like a father with his children for all of eternity. All of those healings, all of those demons getting cast out, Jesus feeding hungry people, he was showing you, look through this little window so that you can see this is, the re this is a picture of the resurrection life to come. How does Jesus accomplish it for us? And that's, what, that's where Peter goes next. Verse 38, excuse me, verse 39. Peter says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' his, ministry. He says, they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. So let's stop right there on they killed him by hanging him on a cross. You see, Jesus, because he challenged people's hearts was a troublemaker because you see in this world people want to believe that if they are good people and they do religious stuff that they're good with god 
But guess what? If your salvation is, or your, your idea of being close with God is based on your being a good person and your religious activities, even if it's just going to church or volunteering at soup kitchens, if your idea of God is based on that, then your salvation is all about you. And Jesus challenged that even among his own people, the Jewish leaders, and he was stirring things up and he was raising the ire and anger and fury of the religious establishment of his day because he kept nailing at the human heart and saying, you can do all this stuff outwardly and you're like a whitewashed gravestone because inside you're like a corpse. And he came to proclaim a message of life that only he could raise people out of that state of spiritual death. And that makes people mad. Because when you start messing with my control of my life and my world and my religion and my power and my authority, when you start messing with that, oh, we are enemies now. And Jesus had more enemies than he had friends when he walked this world. Remember that, Christian. Because he aggravated people by showing that hiding, he showed them that by uh, hiding under their lives of good deeds and religious activity were self-seeking hearts that did not in truth belong to God. So, they snuffed out his life. What do you do when there's something that is agitating the comfort of your life? You get rid of it. And so they snuffed him out, they accused him falsely, raised up all kinds of uh, lies and accusations against him. He kept getting punted back between the Roman Empire and the Jewish religious authorities. And finally, Pontius Pilate said, you know what, just crucify him if that's what you want, and sentenced him off to death indifferently, while the people, his own people who he came to save and love, shouted, crucify him, crucify him. That was you and me there, essentially shouting, crucify him. We want nothing to do with a God who's going to actually challenge our hearts and lay everything bare and open in us before him and make us depend on him for salvation and transformation because we want to stay in control. That is the human heart. But here's what was happening. What looked like defeat on that cross where Jesus hung was a gruesome death. And it looked like defeat. And there's a reason that all of his disciples scattered and abandoned him and went into hiding because they saw it was a display of the Roman Empire's brutal power. Jesus did not wear a loincloth on the cross like you see him on crucifixes today. Their people were crucified naked to shame them. And they, they were left there. They didn't die by bleeding out. They died of asphyxiation because of the way that they were crucified until they could no longer breathe. And we read about that in the Bible in the Passion Narratives where it said, and then Jesus breathed his last. And he hung there and he died that gruesome death. And it looked like defeat. His disciples scattered. Everybody ran away. They were crying. They were horrified. How could our Messiah, how could our leader who loved us and washed our feet, we watched him heal the sick, how could this happen? But here's what was really going on. In the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm that you and I can't see with our eyes, our sin was being dealt with. The power in our hearts that keeps us from knowing God and walking with him and having a relationship of father-son, father-daughter with him, all that sin was being dealt with. And so actually what was happening on that cross was a victory, the greatest victory in all of human history, although it appeared to be a defeat. Now, and here's where we get to the really good stuff. Peter says this, verse 40, but, but, (laughs) but God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. And on that day, all the powers that enslave us, sin, sickness, unbelief, 
depression, oppression, and death were broken as Jesus rose up into new life. Man, I love that song, King of Kings, when we sing about the resurrection. I just get melted. I just get melted when we sing about it. Okay, so there's the reality. God did his work in Jesus. It was like his secret plan against Satan and his kingdom of darkness to send his son to die, to make it look like defeat, and yet all the while he was taking the penalty for the sins of the world upon himself so that those who trust in him would be forgiven and that their record of debt would be wiped away. But now, now, there has to be response. There has to be response. Peter goes on and he says this, Verse 42, he commanded us, his followers, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. It's like a line that's not in a whole lot of sermons today. Like, but this line is, is in Acts, in the book of Acts, and the early disciples preaching over and over and over again. Like they draw people's attention. They say, look at what he did for you on the cross. He laid down his life in love. The Bible says that in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the sacrifice that takes away our sins. But then they said, but also know this, God has appointed him who did that in his love for you. He's appointed him the judge of the nations and he's going to return and he's not going to return as a little baby in his swaddling clothes. He's going to return as the judge of all the earth and all of his blazing glory with all of his angels. And there is going to be a reckoning day. There is going to be a reckoning day. And he is the judge who is going to stand over us. And we are going to give, a, give an account. Because justice, because God is love, but God is also justice. It's his very nature. And justice demands a final verdict against injustice and sin and evil. But here's the thing. This is another, this is another thing I ask people. You know, like, what, what, what qualifies you to be a part of God's kingdom or to go to heaven or to be in his presence when you die. And people say, well, I, I'm a pretty good person, right? Like people say that. I think my good deeds outweigh, my out, outweigh the bad. But that's not what Christianity teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Jesus taught. The verdict that is spoken over us at that final day, whether it's enter into my presence, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. What, what that hangs on is not how many good works we do. It has to do with the consequences of our decision, whether or not to accept God's free gift of forgiveness in Jesus. Amen. That's it. We can accept it or we can reject it. If you accept it, Jesus will clean up your life. I hear the, uh, this is another one I hear from people all the time when I'm sharing with people who don't know the Lord. Yeah, I think I do want to start like reading the Bible and going to church and, and trying to pray, but I've got I've to stop like smoking weed first, or I've got to stop like, you know, I've got a kind of an issue with looking at stuff on the computer. I should, I've got to get that all cleaned up first. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 that's not how it works. You come to Jesus in all of your brokenness and fall at his feet, and he picks you up and cleans you off and makes you new and gives you a new life. And each and every person has to respond. So you see... If the resurrection happened in history, it's the most important fact about your life as an individual human being. Because if it happened, then the gospel's true. Everything Jesus taught was true. Because I don't know about you, I've never met anybody who's pulled off their own death and resurrection, but if I did, I would really pay attention to what their message was. Yes. And so Jesus, 
Jesus calls us to come and follow him. Come and follow me. Lay down all of your external religious stuff that you think you're going to do to impress me and impress others around you. Lay it all down and bear your heart before me and come to me and say, Jesus, I'm broken and I need you to heal me. I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I'm lost and I need a savior. And before you can finish the words, the father embraces you in his compassion. He puts his robe around you. He throws a celebration. The Bible says there's more celebrating and rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who are already righteous and walking with God. There's a party in heaven. Peter said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone. Say that with me. Everyone. Everyone. He's not a God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't have particular favorite types of people. He's looking for hearts that recognize their need for him. Now, I want to just read you a couple extra verses. I'm going to give you an inside view for those of you who don't have a Bible before you this morning. I want to read you a couple extra verses from this passage because something actually happens when Peter's preaching this message. So he's in a room probably like around this size. I don't know if there was a rickety um, garage door that blew in the wind, (laughs) but he was in a room and he was preaching to a group of non-Jews who Peter realized that now God will accept them because he'll accept anyone through Jesus. That's why he sent him to, to grow his family and throw open his arms to the whole world. And so he's preaching to this room, just like I am here, probably he's sharing this message. And then this is what it says. He's, finishing, or he's not finishing up, he's preaching, and he says, all the prophets have testified about him, about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he's preaching, he's going at it. I don't know if he had his like, preacher's rag and he was wiping his sweat. But all of a sudden, this is what the next verse in the Bible says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. If I, I could stand up here for hours till I was red in the face and I could go all brimstone and fire and yell and scream until I was red in the face, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and encounter us in our hearts, the message of the gospel will not become real to us. And here's what happened. It said the circumcised believers, that is the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, the non-Jews, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So this, this, the Spirit of God, as Peter's preaching about Jesus, death and resurrection, and how you can receive forgiveness in his names, the Spirit of God comes and encounters them. He encounters them. And too much preaching and too much, the, me- the message of Jesus is too often preached and left where people don't have an expectation that they would actually encounter the Spirit of God so that he could make these truths real in their heart and bring them to come and to know Jesus and to walk in relationship with him. But that's what we need. And God, there was such a powerful move of the Spirit in that room that people were like praising God and praying in heavenly languages that God gave them. It was like they were just out of control. They weren't on the seat, the throne of their lives anymore. And they were just praising God with abandon, with total abandon. And the, 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 the Jews are shocked, they're like, because it says they saw that God poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. So something happened. Something happened. Friends, God wants to encounter you. 
Whether you're someone who, who you know that you don't really walk in a personal relationship with God yet, or you're a person who just it feels cold in your faith, or you're somewhere in between all of that, the Lord wants to bring you into an encounter with his living spirit. He wants to bring you into an encounter with living spirit. And at Adoration Church, we always want to give people an opportunity to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Respond to the way, sometimes it comes as just a stirring in your heart. You're like, man, this is something is hitting home today. Something is moving in me. Something is telling me this is what I need. I need an encounter with God. I need a fresh encounter with God. Something needs to change in my life. Jay, if you would um, just come up and, and minister for a minute. We're just going to have a little time of ministry, and I believe Sarah's going to sing for us. But I want to share, we're gonna, our prayer team is in the back, and these, these women who are wearing lanyards around their neck um, in the back that say prayer, they're there to do prayer ministry within the, with you in the back of the room. I know that the room is small, but we've carved out this little space of a few chairs back there that if you want to receive prayer today during the music ministry after, the, after I'm done speaking, we want you to go back there. They want to pray with you. They just simply want to usher you into the presence of a good God who loves you and wants you to encounter him. But I was, I was praying, and, and a group of us were praying about what does the Lord specifically want to minister to today? What does he specifically want to minister to? Because God knew everybody who was going to be in this room before any of us even planned to be. He knew from all eternity who would be in this room today. And so we asked the Lord, Lord, what are some of the things that you want to minister to today? And I just want to to share a couple notes that I have written down that some of us felt the Lord was speaking. One of them is um, father wounds. And what I mean by that is that because of the way that maybe you were treated or neglected or even abused by your own earthly father, you've developed a sort of a hardness towards the idea of God as father. And it has been really hard for you to connect with God because of that. And I believe that God in his resurrection power wants to heal that wound in your heart today. If that's you, I want you to to go to the back of the room and to receive prayer from our prayer ministers. I felt like the Lord said that maybe there was somebody here who had an abortion and that wound needs to be healed. It needs to be forgiven. It needs the weight, the guilt, the shame of it. It needs to be lifted off for once and for all today by his resurrection power. The Lord does not want us to live in shame. I I want you to be encouraged to go receive prayer. I had one word that I didn't exactly know what it means, but the Lord spoke the word construction to my spirit and I don't know if that means that there's somebody who has like an injury from a construction accident that needs to be healed or if the word construction makes sense to you if you're a construction worker and you just feel like you need prayer today maybe that's for you but I want to encourage you to go back and receive prayer today uh, one of somebody on our prayer team felt that there's people who have struggled with just feeling overlooked and insignificant, maybe even by God, like that God wouldn't look at you, that your life doesn't matter to him. And so he's kind of just passes by you and looks for other people that he cares about more. And, and, and our, our uh, team felt that the Lord just wanted people who struggle with that to feel today that you are loved and to go, to go and to receive prayer, just to have that, those kind of wounds healed. If, you're he- if you feel like you are walking with heavy burdens today, any kind of heavy burden, spiritual, emotional, physical. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. All you who are heavily burdened and weary, come to me and I will give you rest. If that's you, I want to encourage you to receive prayer. And then the last one today is just people who, who have longstanding addictions that they've been, maybe, it's, maybe you don't know the Lord, maybe you do know the Lord, but longstanding addictions that um, one, of our, one of our prayer team got a word of the tomb of addiction 
that the tomb of addiction has to be broken open today, and that the resurrection power of Jesus is going to actually completely set people free from any kind of long-standing addiction. That could be anything, any kind of addiction. And I want you to go and to receive prayer at the back of the room today. The Lord wants to work in your life. I'm going to invite Sarah up here to sing for us. I believe we do have the lyrics for this song on the slides. So if you want to kind of quietly sing along while she sings, you're welcome to. Otherwise, would you just come minister to us?